Hello, friends, and welcome to the Data Science Happy Warrior podcast. I'm your host, Matt Pettis, whose credentials for this boil down to I've been doing this for stuff for quite a while. In this, the first episode, I want to talk about a few things. I want to talk about what I want to do with this podcast, why I call it the Data Science Happy Warrior podcast, the importance of knowing your data, and some things you can do to get to know your data a little bit better. I want to talk about the aspects of, so what is it that I want to talk and do with this podcast? I really want to talk about the aspects of data science that don't get enough press. We all know that we, we see data science podcasts and data science blogs and blog sites talking about machine learning algorithms, neural networks, convolutional neural networks, and all manner of new, new techniques. But I want to talk about some of the other aspects of data science that we just need to talk about, which are things like making judgments, making judgments about data, about problem solving, problem solving in general. Uh, some of the more uh, fundamental things that we need to do, such as cleaning up your data, how to get about doing, how to go about doing that. We all know what we want to do at the end by making a fancy model, but we, how do we actually get there? How do we achieve that? What are things we need to do with our data to get that in shape to do what we want to do with it? So I want to talk about data, all aspects, all manner of data, all aspects of data, especially cleaning it up and getting into shape for things that you want to use it for. I want to talk about wrapping your head around the data before you let an algorithm get a hold of it. How do you use all of your human intelligence about a problem so that you can actually know what to expect and be able to manage a data science algorithm or any sort of machine learning algorithm that you need to deal with and know that you're getting good or bad results. So what are the things we need to do as human beings in order to make sure that when we go into data science or deal with the, deal with the algorithms and other aspects of it, that we know what we're doing and we're not, we're not just going in blindly. I want to talk about the process of making models and doing this as a discipline. I want to talk about reproducibility and making pipelines for your data and for your model building. I also want to talk about communicating your results and making stories. Making a model and doing this technical aspect of data science isn't the be-all, end-all. We have people who are responsible to, we have businesses who care about what we're doing, or we have other aspects, we have other things that need to get done and need to, to be part of the whole project process in order to have a complete and successful data model. And I want to talk about what those things are and what we need to do to enable those and to integrate well with those so that our data science uh, projects and ideas and brilliant ideas just don't die on the vine. And many, many other aspects as they occur and as we discover them that go into making great data science or making great work in the data science field. So why data science happier warriors? Well, Happy Warriors is actually a Wordsworth, a poem by uh, William Wordsworth, and it's most commonly used to describe great public servants. You've heard it referred, you may have heard it referred to uh, to some people in the media, to some uh, great public servants who've really dedicated their life to doing the grunge work of public service and being great people and not making a fortune, you know, with their lives or making things great for themselves, but dedicating their lives to making their making the lives of others better. And so it's a poem that extols the virtues of of what should go into a happy happy warrior personality. Things like having to endure uh, a lot of crap, learning when you can learn, uh, dealing with other people. And just as I said, 
uh, enduring a lot of crap with a light heart and how to keep your inner light, how to keep your direction, your direction north, or how to keep your eyes on the prize as you go through life to do what you think is right. And people do it for, and I said the poem was written for the perfect public servant um, or the happy warrior as, as described. For us, we're going to see what that means in terms of being a happy data scientist. How do you fight the good fight and not get discouraged? And what are the things you need to learn that will help you on your way? What goes into your utility belt to make this happen? With that said, let's talk about the importance of knowing your data. Now, I always like to start out with a, an example. Uh, I always like Scotty from Star Trek. I always like Scotty from Star Trek. Kirk would ask him some question like, can we go warp five on an eighth of a tank of gas for like two hours? And Scotty would tell Kirk, well, you're an idiot for asking such a thing. But then he'd come back and find a way to do whatever it was that Kirk really wanted to do or to make the Enterprise do the amazing, incredible thing that was needed of it so that they could survive and go on to the next episode. What you're supposed to take from that from the character, or at least what I was, I took from that was that I was supposed to see that Scotty was a person who knew the ship like the back of his hand. And by doing so, he was able to do near miracles with a ship just because he knew what he could push, what the limits were that he could push. He knew how to re divert things. He knew how to re repurpose things to do what he wanted to. And because of that skill, he was a main character and he was a hero as part of that, uh, part of that show. And so that's what I want you to think about for for this for data science you should think of your data like a ship and you are scotty part of your job is to know what your data can and cannot do and when the data can when the data can tell you things what are the things that can tell you and what can you go back and rightfully tell people this data can do. A lot of the problems that happen in data science are things where people dump data in your lap. The joke we have at work or have had, had at work is that people come in, dump a crazy uh, disconnected set of data in your lap and say, machine learn me something that I can make money off of. And we always laugh because you just can't dump data in people's lap and, and say, I'm going to turn it into gold. You just can't. You have to know what your data is doing. You have to know what your data is telling you. You have to know that you can predict data or get data that will look to things like the future or if need be or whatever the, the circumstance is and reflect what's going on so that you can make good human judgments on it. And so people usually blindly come in and do that. It's usually not really helpful and, and we laugh about it internally. So the first thing about knowing your data and knowing what you can do is usually a lot of times you have numerical data. And uh, the thing you want to know about this is what are the reasonable ranges of outputs your model should be giving, especially if it's numeric. This is really important. This is, at the very base, a skill that you need to have or an idea or guiding principle that you need to have in your head when doing data science, especially in this case for numerical values is you need to know what are what are the things you should be expecting to see for the data you have. Now, here's an example of, of something that's happened to me. Uh, I was once asked to estimate how much energy an air compressor would be using over the course of a day. I was given a time series of various features about the air compressor, things like average outdoor temperature, uh, the age of the oil that went into the machine, the actual time the compressor is used, pressures and, and energies as well, and so on. I took the data and I made a model with it and I got an answer. 
when I gave the answer that I had worked really hard on to one of the engineers, she looked at me and told me that I was an idiot. She told me that the whole factory didn't draw as much power as I had predicted in a month that I predicted that the, the compressor would use in a given day. And I was floored. I don't like being looked at like an idiot. Well, I couldn't really figure out what was wrong. I looked through the whole data set. I, I, I looked at my models and I went through piece by piece. I said I hadn't dropped anything. I hadn't divided by zero. I hadn't done anything crazy. I hadn't scaled something in a place that I shouldn't scale. And I, for the life of me, I couldn't figure it out. So she and I sat down and, and looked at the data. All the data was clean, but I did make one pretty critical mistake at the end. And that was I didn't know my column fields. I didn't know what the, the, the names of the column fields were. And because I didn't know what the column names were, they weren't English names. They were, they were cryptic uh, sets of letters. Uh, I was not able to. Uh, I actually used not the energy. I didn't model the energy as output, but I modeled the internal pressure, which turned out to be about an order of magnitude greater than uh, what... Uh, what the energy was. And when I predicted it, I was predicting pressure, which kind of matched the energy consumption over time. It was pretty close. When, when energy was used, the pressure would go up, so it looked like it had a, a great pattern. But I was predicting something that was wildly, wildly wrong. And now I could have solved this real easily by one thing, which is of figuring out what the what a reasonable range of energy should be that was actually going into the system that I should be predicting on. I didn't do my homework and actually figure out what that was. So one of the lessons in this is that you should really know what, what ranges of values you should be expecting in your output model so as to not look dumb. There is another example where uh, I actually did pay attention to this stuff and it helped me out immensely. In fact, it make me, made me look pretty smart. Another problem I was doing was I had a server that had to, was basically a pass through for a lot of data messages. Uh, data would come in, it was, a, it was a queue, it would do a little bit of processing and then spit it out the other side. And so we used internal metrics to see how much, we were benchmarking the machine and we tried to see how much data we actually were able to pump through the system. And when we did, when we stuck into a harness and started pumping data through the system, our internal metrics for the box was saying that the that the throughput was really really low. In fact, it was erratically low, and it was it looked like it was spotty. It looked like it had trouble processing. It sometimes things would dip. It was really going all over the board. And when the engineers looked at this, or the 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 tech engineers, the IT engineers looked at this, they they couldn't figure it out. We had a harness we were going through, and it looked like the box was just performing poorly. Well, I ended up thinking real hard about the problem because I was in charge of hooking up the harness. And what I noticed was that when I ran the harness, all my stuff was going through. And so I started doing back of the envelope calculations. When I say that, I mean, I actually sat down and said, well, if all my stuff was going through, I knew I was getting, let's say, 10 megabits per second going through. And it was only showing me like on the order of one to two megabits per second. And, but I knew all my stuff was going through. Nothing was erroring out. Nothing said that, I mean, everything confirmed like on the front side of the, of the pipe on the, on the server and on the back side, it was all getting through. Yet internally, it told me that I wasn't putting much data through. Well, when I looked at the metric a lot closer that I was looking at, which was, a, it was turned out to be a counter of network traffic saying, this is how much traffic came in. This is how much traffic went out. And when I dug into the 
documentation, I found out that this was what's known as a 32-bit counter. So it could only hold integers up that had 32 binary bits into it. And what was happening is I was putting information, or we, the harness of putting through information at such a rate is that, that like an odometer, that odometer, that bit counter was rolling over in the time period which I was sampling, which was five minutes. And so I wasn't getting accurate results as to from internally how much was going through because more frequently than not, the counter, the odometer inside was rolling over and and I would start instead of, instead of incrementing, it would go down below and say I didn't have I had a lot less data going through. That's why I looked erratic. It didn't, wasn't rejecting messages. The recounter was just resetting back to zero. And so once I pointed that out to, out to the engineers, we realized we had to upgrade the system to put a 64-bit counter in there. And then the data started looking right. And I looked like a genius because I actually looked through that and found that. Well, it wasn't hard once you realized that what you really need to do is understand the system. You need to really know what you should be expecting to be going in and coming out and that along the way, all the referential checkpoints along the way should be confirming what you're doing. And if they're not confirming, if they're disconfirming it, you need to find out why. And usually there's a great benefit to it because when you do find it out, you can be a hero, a data science hero, happy data warrior. The practical takeaway here is that you need to learn your data's normality and abnormalities. So how do you do this? What's How do you go about knowing what to do? Well, first and the easiest is that you need to ask an expert. And that's the easiest. When you're doing data science, the, part, the thing about data science that's exciting but also kind of hard is that you probably are going to look at a whole variety of problems with lots of expertise, different areas of expertise, and you're going to get a chance to learn a lot of areas that you get a toehold in just because you know how to deal with data. But you don't know the domain itself really well. And that's a good thing. And that's and if you like learning, this is a perfect career for you. So when you're working on a problem that is a little bit out of your comfort zone, you need to find an expert and ask them, hey, what should I be expecting for these sorts of values? In the case of the compressor, I should have asked how much power is actually being consumed here. And if my and I need to write that down or make note of that because if my numbers come out to be wildly inaccurate, I need to go back to them and saying, were you right or am I looking at something wrong? And I would have uncovered the problem of looking at the wrong column a lot earlier. So work with an expert. The second thing is take all the columns that are relevant and for each thing that you do care about, do what's called or compute what's called a five number summary. And I'm not going to get too deep into this because we can talk about that in another episode. But a five number summary takes a, a set of data and computes five numbers, as it says on the tin. Takes the figures out the minimum value in the set of data that you have for the particular column or feature. The first quartile, which is a number that uh, that should have 25% of the all observations should have a number that is that number or lower. The median, the third quartile, which is like the 25% number, but 75% of the observations should be at or below that number. And then the max value. And this is a nice way to get an idea of sort of the distribution of the data that you're dealing with. And with that, you can actually take that and come circle that back with an expert to say, well, if they told you what a value was, you can go back and say, well, I found this. Is this reasonable or not? And uh, if they say yes, you're probably on the right track. If they say no, you need to make sure you're looking at the right column or other things aren't out of whack. And thirdly, what you can do is you can make charts. And I've, in fact, I recommend this highly for all the things you do. If I have a set of values that I know that I should be dealing with, either in outcomes or as features going in, 
always make a chart. And I like to make, for knowing how my data ranges, I like to make histograms or density plots. And you can take these and, and say, well, what, are the, what does my data look like? Does it have a sort of bell-shaped curve? And where is the height or where is the mean of that bell-shaped curve? That value, that X value of what that bell-shaped curve should be the average value that you should expect to see in that feature. And you can take those numbers back to the expert and say, hey, this is what I'm looking at. It looks like these are the distribution of values. And they should be able to look at that. If, we, or if you explain it correctly, they should be able to say, yeah, that's what you expect, or no, that's crazy. A lot of other things that you, I do find out is that data is bad. Data is messy and data has errors in it. When I make histograms, if I expect to see a bell-shaped curve on these things, and I see, I'll often see something like a bell-shaped curve for some numbers, and then I'll see some offset off to the right or off to the left that has a cluster of values that are really, really high or really, really low. And I need to know what those are about. Are those normal or are those abnormal? If I bring that back to an expert, they may say, oh yeah, sometimes it doesn't operate in normal conditions and you'll see it run hot or run cold for this and you'll all see a little cluster of values. Or they'll say, no, you'll see a cluster of values like that because the recording information is wrong or someone recorded it incorrectly. Somehow the data got corrupted for a period of time or for a set of observations and that's why you see that cluster. And you should actually throw those out of your observations and don't consider them because they are just bad values. So making charts, making visualizations makes those things pop to you. So you can see whether or not you have realistic data. You can confirm it with an expert to see if they should be expecting it, that, that, abnorm that abnormal data. And if you do, once you find it and identify it, you know if you can be able to use it or not use it. So that's how you deal with getting to know your data. It makes you look competent. In fact, it can make you look hyper-competent with what you're doing. It helps you learn the system. It helps you talk expertly with the system experts itself. And it saves you a lot of headache when you're actually making models down the road that you're not feeding in junk data. So it's really important out of the gate. And you can do this as one of the first things you do in building model is figuring out how to know your, figuring out what your data is and figuring out what to do with it. So that's it for now. Remember that all these things that we're doing here in data science are worth mastering. Just like anything else that's worth mastering in life, we're going to get this little by little, piece by piece, and it will come. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So with that, I'll just say I'm Matt Pettis, and thanks for joining me on this. And keep fighting the good fight. This is the morning